Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome. Good to see you guys this morning. morning. Summer in Wyoming, man. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's going to get to like 95 today. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing? Some of you guys are loving that? The Southern boy? Not loving it. Uh-uh. No thank you. No thank you. So it's so funny, man. In the winter, we're like, I can't wait till summer gets here. And it's like hot one day, and I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I don't want any more of this. <laughs> Hey, if this is your first Sunday with us or you're tuning in online today and we don't have your information, would you text us 307-224-4404? Just text the word welcome. That way we can, uh, you know, be able to communicate with you and let you know. Uh, we don't, we're kind of playing the summer by ear as far as we may change our service times uh, to one service. We don't know yet. And uh, so we're kind of looking at it week by week. So you might want to stay in the loop. Plus, we have some events coming later in the summer. We're going to uh, do two Sundays in parks. And we'll probably do those at 10 a.m. rather than either 9 or 10.30. So uh, that'll be toward the end of August. There'll be plenty of information coming about that. You'll know. You won't be surprised. Uh, but I just wanted to get you in the loop. That's an easy way to do it. So today we're back in our series called Powerful People. And uh, we're going to be talking about how to win the battle between love and fear. Love and fear. So we're going to be talking about connection a lot throughout this series. And... Uh, so I thought a great way to start, I'm, I'm gonna, I thought I'd get a little audience response thing going on. Maybe, you know, we could start doing, what's that show where everybody would dress up? Uh, let's make a deal. Maybe we could start doing that on Sundays and you could dress up like a cheese head or... The mass singers for the younger folks. The mass, okay. There, <laughs> great ideas from this section. Everyone else is like, what's he talking about? I understand, I understand. So, so what I'd like to do is the word connection. So what happened, the reason I'm bringing this up is because... I don't know, about 10 years ago, my wife started saying to me things like, you know, I just don't feel like we're connected. And it was terrifying to me as a man because I'm like, what does that mean? I, I don't, what do you mean connected? And she goes, well, you know, connected is when we're like connected. We're connected like that. And I'm like, that's not helpful. And so I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah, they're not, you're not with me. You're afraid I'm going to set you up. I, I don't know. So let me ask you a question. When, you are con- when you're in a, a good, connected relationship, could you just like, shout out a word? that What's that mean? When I'm, I'm safely and, 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 and healthily connected with somebody, what's a good word that you would describe that? Shout one out, even if it's wrong, I just, so I don't feel... What? Calming. Are you connected? Calming. Bonding? Someone say bond. Is that you? Don. <laughs> What'd you say? On the same page? Someone said it's in sync this morning. You're in trouble. <laughs> it, anyone else got another word for me? Connected. When we're connected, the relationship's healthy, it's good. What's, what is it to you? Close. Close? Close is good. Communication? Understanding. Oh, that's good. Trust. Trust. All right. That's good. Go ahead, Sally. You were going to say something? What? Like, like, like I like you? Okay, that's good. A lot of married couples don't like each other. Like, I love you, don't like you. Wouldn't hang out with you if we weren't married. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, connection, uh, how about this? Let me throw a couple that might, that might help you. I, I like understanding. So, like, I understand you. 
you understand me. At least in this moment, what we're trying to communicate and talk about, we have some understanding. How about this? I know you, you know me. We know each other. We have a, a knowing and an understanding of each other. I think a lot of people, I think all of us struggle with connection on some level, being connected with another human being in, in, in any kind of relationship, whether that's a family, a mom, a, a son, a father, daughter, husband, wife, um, in a friendship, in a work relationship. I think we just struggle with understanding and knowing each other and having any kind of real connection with people. And I think a lot of people struggle in the sense that they are like, um, why can't I just handle this myself? Why can't I just be alone and be okay? And so let me start, let me, let's start there, why that you're having problems with that. <clears throat> Jesus got all kinds of tests when he was here. I know if you're in school now, you're like, Jesus didn't have to take tests. Well, he did. He had to take tests. He passed them all. So your algebra test shouldn't be a problem next fall, okay? So, Jesus could, and so this guy, who's an expert in religious law, he's an expert. He's one, of the, he's one of they. He gives Jesus a test. Here's what happens. Luke 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you can't do what Jesus did, because what he's going to do is make the guy take his own test. Wouldn't that be cool if you could do that to your teacher? Here, teacher, you take the test. <laughs> See if you pass. Anyway, so... Jesus said, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Three entities there. God, so, uh, someone else, others, and you. Okay, in that equation, all right? So then he goes on to say, right. Jesus said. So the guy passed his own quiz. You would think he could pass your own quiz, but he did. He passed his own quiz, and Jesus commended him. Do this, and you will live. So here's what I want you to see out of the test that Jesus received, and he made the guy who asked the test, gave him the test, pass. I want you to see that you were made for connection. You were made to connect with others. That is not just you being needy, it is a created design thing that God has put in you to connect with him and with others. To be known and to know. To belong. That is created. It's divine. It's intended. It's on purpose. So the idea that I can just get along in life by myself without any real connection is unhealthy. Not real at all. In fact, let me kind of jump into what... Um, what Carrie Cobb leaned into a couple weeks ago, but I have graphics, so I'm way cooler than Carrie. Remember that. You tell him. Michael has graphics, all right? I hope you're watching this, Carrie. Graphics. Four kinds of connection. No connection. What does that mean? What's no connection? What no connection means is I have nobody who's speaking into my life. Nobody can, can help me. No one can encourage me. No one can energize me. My whole life is solely what I can think up and do. So I have no one to help manage me. So I'm isolated. I'm all by myself. And you can pretend like that's great, but there's no grace or truth in that. 
You're just alone. And then there's, then there's the next level that people get to. And this is why people don't want connection, and it's bad connection. Bad connection is when your life is static, and the only thing that's getting through is the bad stuff. You're stupid. You're a failure. You're weak. It's all your fault. Those are the only messages getting through the static. And so you have this bad connection, and maybe it's an abusive relationship, and abuse can happen in a whole lot of ways. All I know is in a place of bad connection, you're never enough, you always fall short, and you're always under criticism. The static is just overbearing. So not only are you not getting the energy you need in a bad connection, the energy you need is being taken from you. And then you have fake connection. And if you've been in a relationship, had bad connection, fake connection seems like an improvement. Fake connection is when you have yes people in your life and they just tell you what you want to hear. Fake connection is when maybe you've moved into addiction or something like that and all your friends are also in addiction and they're all in fake connection. So you have created this this echo chamber of how wonderful life is in the misery in which we live together. But no one's ever actually energizing, no one's challenging, no one's calling you up. There's no grace or truth, there's just illusion. The problem with fake connection is it charges interest, and sooner or later the bill comes due. And so, none of these are good. The problem is, we start out with no connection in life, but we're connected to our mothers, and we begin to build this relationships. We start to get hurt along the way. Maybe we have an abusive relationship of some kind, and we try fake relationships. They don't work for us, so we just keep going back to either no connection or fake connection because we're trying to survive and we don't know what else to do. But there is something called real connection. There is a place that you can get to in your life where you can thrive, where your body and your soul are engaged with others whether that's in a, a, a relationship that leads to marriage, whether that's just friendships, whether that's close, intimate friendships, whether that may be your relationship with God, because we can relate to God in a place of no connection, bad connection, or fake connection based on the lies and the theologies that we hold to. In a real relationship, that relationship with God and with others energizes you, it gives you freedom, It empowers you with self-control. In a relationship like that, you can accept responsibility for your life. In a relationship like that, you can process your failures. And failure does—it stops being a label you wear, and it starts being a thing that happened. We were created for this. This was God's intent. When we think of those horizontal friendships, relationships, small groups, marriages, uh, father, uh, I mean, family relationships, we think of this, we need to think, how do I get to a place of real connection where God is designed that I grow and I thrive? So that's what we're talking about in this series. The problem is we're terrified of really connecting with other people. We're afraid to be known. If people know us, they can hurt us. If I really share who I am, what I think, and how I feel, I might get punished. 
Why do we believe that? Because we have been punished in the past. It's a reality. And so how can I accept the reality of the world I live in and process that, but still move to a place where I get the connection that God designed me for, the, where I can actually obey that greatest commandment, love God, love others, as I actually love myself. And I think there's a real challenge on that third one because I think there's even a theology out there that thinks it's okay to hate yourself. But here's the problem with that. God created you. There's like a billion shots of you entering the world and and God decided that it was you who would live here, you who would walk this earth. Just the very act that God put you here means that he has purpose and desire and design for you. You have to protect God's creation, who is you. You have to do this. How can you love others if you can't stand yourself? You see what I mean? So this is important. So how do we move to this place of real connection? So what I want to do is I want to recognize what is infecting us. And then I want to go at a solution as how to push it out of our life. This is not a magic bullet. You're not going to walk out that door today and go, that's it. That was the thing I needed. From now on, I'm good to go. I can actually talk to people. It's not going to happen like that. What I'm giving you today is a map. I'm giving you a starting point on the map. And what I'm inviting you to is a journey with Jesus that can walk you out of your valley of the shadow of isolation into a new day. Okay? You still with me? Say amen. Amen. Just so I'll know you're here. Okay? Good deal. All right. So how, how do we... How did we get here? This place of fear and shut off and all by ourselves. It started where we talked about last week. It started with this issue of pain. We were little children, and maybe it was your mom or dad or maybe someone in your family said they tried to stop you from touching the hot pan. But you did. You, you were curious because God also made you curious. You had to know why that pan was boiling and steam was coming out of it. And so as a small child, you reached up, probably before you even remember, you reach up and you touched it and you burned yourself and you cried and you learned a very, very, very valuable lesson that day. Pain, bad. That's what you learned. And you never forgot. Pain, Bad. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to rehammer, uh, rehit last week's message. However, here's what I want you to know. Here's what you learned about pain as you grew older. Here's what you learned about pots and pans. Well, some of you did. Some of you are like, I am never touching those again. I learned the lesson when I was two, never cooking again. I'm just eating out. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. You learned how to control heat. You learned how to keep a safe distance from the pain. You learned how to manage pain with control and distance. That's what you learned at a very young age. And as you grew older, some of you learned how to cook. Some of you didn't. Lord help you. And, and, but you learned if you did. It's kind of like, does anyone here in the room have a pet rattlesnake? Any pet rattlesnake people in the room? I don't know anyone who has a pet rattlesnake. I mean, uh, what, how would you manage a pet rattlesnake? I mean, 
if you did have a pet rattlesnake, I don't, I just can't imagine you carrying it around in your pocket, wearing it around your neck like a necklace, walking around, hey, this is Herb, my pet rattlesnake. I don't know why Herb. I hope there's no Herbs in the room going, oh, he thinks I'm a snake. Or online. That's not how, okay, there's that one guy in Cal, in Carolina who was really psycho. He got bit by a snake like seven times. I'm like, how do you get by, bit by a snake seven times? I mean, seriously, one time is all I need. Bad. Pain. Bad. That's all I know. So, but, but he's dead now. His wife killed him. It's funny. It seems like the snake should have done it, but it was... Anyway, so... Oh, uh, yeah, it's a true story. I'm not making that one up. <laughs> not making that one up. You don't see rattlesnake owners at all, but if you did, you wouldn't see him cuddling with them, petting them like they're a chihuahua. You wouldn't see him going in the airport with that little bag with the little chihuahua head coming out, but it's a rattlesnake instead. You wouldn't see that. What you would see, if someone did have venomous snakes, they would, they would control them. They would keep them in cages. They would have extended grips to hold them away from them so they didn't get bitten. They would learn to manage the snakes with the same thing you learned about the pots and pans, control and distance. Well, here's the thing. The mother who loved you and held you and comforted you and tried to encourage you also smacked your hand away from the hot pan. The father who patiently, hopefully, taught you to ride your bike also struggled to tell you he loved you or to hug you. You see, pots and pans and rattlesnakes are one thing. People are a little bit more complex. And when it comes to people, if we, we, what we've learned to do is rather than be connected to people, we've learned to manage disconnection with them, to keep them at an arm's length. Chris and I stumble across this from time to time when we're talking to couples about their relationship. We find out a lot of times that they're not trying to connect with each other. They're trying to safely remain disconnected with each other, but still live in the same sphere of life. They're trying to control and distance each other because it's too risky to have a connection. We're afraid. We're afraid. Sometimes, sometimes just knowing you're afraid helps a little to know what's going on. Sometimes if you can just dig far enough to see, ah, this is fear, it helps a little. It doesn't give us a solution, but at least helps us see the problem. This fear is a lie, by the way. In fact, the lie that the enemy tells through it in our relationships is this, this lie. Only one person can have power at a time. That's the lie. Only one person can be in control at a time. That means that if you actually believe that, that means that there can only be one powerful person and one submitted person at a time. There can't be two powerful people in a relationship. Well, that presents a real problem to a child of God who hasn't been given a spirit of fear but of power. And so now I'm, God's telling me I have to be in a relation, that when I'm in relationships, we're both supposed to be powerful. We're both supposed to have strength. And so we see this fear in our lives. So 1 John chapter 4, let's learn how to deal with this. What does God say about this? Or let's learn what the reality is. 1 John 4, 16. 
We know how much God loves us. I'm going to tell you, when I read that passage, the first thought that comes to my mind is, John, he's the guy who wrote it, I'm not sure we know that. But, John knew it. This is the disciple who wrote this, who laid on Jesus' chest the Last Supper. This was the, the one who had a very, he had the most powerful and intimate relationship with Jesus. And so, he says, we know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. Because God is love. If God had a name tag, it would say love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, as we live in love, because we could call God love instead of God, and that would be accurate. As we live in love, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And we love each other because he first loved us. So here we see there's a lot of lessons in this. There are tons of applications. I'm just going to focus on a couple. One, we see where fear is rooted. It's rooted in punishment. Control and distance are about punishing people. Any of you ever received the silent treatment? Just, just give me a nod. Okay, now don't answer this one. Any of you ever given the silent treatment? Yeah. What is that? You're being punished. If we don't ever say that out loud. Some of the worst stuff we do, we never say out loud. But what's really going on is somebody's being punished. What does punishment do? It creates fear. It creates fear. Punishment, discipline, two different things. We see here that punishment is what drives the fear, the fear of punishment. Punishment, even in this text, talks, it lends into the ideas of distance from God, no connection with God, rejection even by God. Another thing we learn from this passage is this, fear and love cannot occupy the same space. Fear and love cannot be in the same place at the same time. And so we, we learn this. So take a moment to consider. Consider your relationship with God. Is it a love relationship? Is it a fear relationship? What does God want it to be? I mean, God, whose name tag says love. Hello, my name is Love. Does God want that relationship you have with him to be fear? If I don't get this right, he's going to bust my chops. He's going to take away things I need. He's going to do harm to me if I don't get this right. Where did that lie come from? God has never been like that. He has never been like that. But that's what we believe. Some part of us believes that God is out to, to, to punish us. How about the critical relationships in your life? The husband, the wife, the mom, the dad, the parent, the child, the close friends. Are those relationships where love fills it? Are they relationships where fear fills it? Is it about who's in control? Why can't we both have the power? All these are just symptoms of one thing. Fear. Fear is the problem. 
Fear is the enemy. The spirit of fear is what we need to be upset at and angry at and after. Not someone who has a name or a face. Okay? There's a spirit here that has a problem. A spirit here that needs to come back. If we can begin to realize that fear is your enemy. Fear is your enemy. I understand people may have done some harsh things to you. They may have betrayed you. They may be, have been very abusive to you. And, and those are all things that we can manage when we are powerful people. Those are things that, that we can get through. And we're going to talk about all of those throughout this series. We're talking about access to you and boundaries and all the powers that you have over the person that God created you to be. And I can't wait, but I can't do it all today or it would be a six-hour message which would tickle me to death, but not you. So, all I need you to realize is that if we can identify the problem as fear, the root cause is fear, then we can start to work on and fix and drive out that problem. Today, before the service is over, no. I love you, but you're like me, and that fear is driven way too deep, and rooting out something that deep, it takes a little bit longer than a 15-minute sermon, which I've never preached in my life. <clears throat> it's going to take longer than that. It may take time, but we're going to learn today how to do what God empowered us to do. 2 Timothy 1.7, now the New King James says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Let me remind you one thing before we go on to how to apply this to. This is really important. God is not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your sin. You know that, right? He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your sins either. He's not afraid of you. In fact, what God has proven over and over again is that he has this, this powerful ability to choose to respond to you in love rather than to react to you in fear. God is not afraid. He responds to your behaviors, your failures, all the things that you feel like he's punishing you over. That's not what's happening at all. He's responding to you. He's coming to you. You're never going to outrun the hound of heaven. I believe it was Martin Luther who called him that. You're never going to outrun God. He's always, he's like that annoying guy in high school ladies that wanted to take you out, but he was really in the friend zone deep and you were like never going out with him. But God's like worse than that because he's never given up. He's going to chase you forever. Guys, I'm sorry I don't have a cool analogy for you. Uh, and no guy has ever had that happen to them. So <clears throat> anyway. So how do we get from a place of fear to something else? First John 4, 16, if we could look at that again, we know how much God loves us. We know how much God loves us. Do you know how much God loves you? Man. <clears throat> so one of my favorite writers is, uh, is a business writer. His name's John Gordon. He's a Christian. He writes for the business world, but he's, he's always sharing the gospel in these clever ways. He's one of my favorites. Wrote a book called The Energy Bus. He has one called The Carpenter that just is a beautiful analogy of Jesus. It's just cool. Love it. It greatly encourages me. He says, wherever there's a void, negativity will fill it. Now, he's writing for a business crowd when he writes that. 
And so let me reword it for us. Wherever there's a void in your life, darkness will fill it. Darkness will come and fill that void. And so it's the same with relationships. If there's a void, fear is going to fill the void. If there's any empty space whatsoever. So we know that God loves us. That's how John starts this passage. We know that God loves us. So let's stop right there and, and say, is that correct? Do we know that God loves us? And I know what you're thinking. Well, yeah, I know God loves me. And if you can say it like that, you don't know God loves you. Because when you know God loves you, one of two things happens. When it really sinks deep, either tears start to flow or shouts start to come out. But either way, there's something deeply emotional about the reality that the God of heaven loves me. Now I want you to think about this. Let's wrap our head around this. God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And the very first thing they do is insult God and reject God and walk away from Him being God over them, choosing rather to be gods themselves. In that act of denial, that great sinful fall, what does God do? Does He walk out? Does He say, I'm done with you? It's over? I'm putting up a big wall? No. The very next thing He does is meet their needs. He steps in with acts of love's even though his heart had to have been shattered, the very thing he knew would happen did happen. And, and what does God do? He steps in and he loves Adam and Eve. He provides for them. He reaches out to their children. He connects with their son, Seth. Then later times come and God just keeps, even though man forever walks away, God keeps showing up. He shows up for Noah. He shows up for Moses. He showed, well, Abraham before that. He showed up for David, showed up for Isaiah, showed up for the prophets over and over. God just kept coming back. Wouldn't leave mankind alone just kept overcoming the distance until in John 19 and other chapters in the Gospels, God shows up through His Son and dies for mankind on a cross. God loves you. When's the last time you thought about it? Really thought about it? Our lives need to be filled with a conversation with each other and an internal conversation in ourselves that is forever contemplating, never quite releasing the magnitude of God's love for you. Why are you experiencing fear? If there's fear, it's fear of punishment. Darkness has filled some empty place in you. And it's time to fill that place with God's love for you. He ain't scared of you. He isn't scared of your sins, your behaviors, your failures. You will never, ever, ever screw up so bad that God will walk away from you. That's right. That's right. There's this awesome worship song that just came out a couple months ago done by Maverick City Church, I think is the name, and, and they, they did a partnership with uh, Elevation Worship, a song called Gyra. There's a line in it that just knocks me on, on my rear end. The guy sings, I couldn't let you down, talking to God. I could not let you down, God, because I wasn't holding you up. And I began to think about that last night as I was worshiping and the reality that I don't hold God up. He holds me up. I can't let him down because he, he can't be put down. And if, I, and if you can let me down, that means I've put you in a place in my life you didn't belong 
You see what I mean? If you're holding me up, we're now in a place called codependency. That's not healthy. And so my, the only place I can lean is on God, and, and he's what holds me up. Don't let Satan twist. Don't, twist the, the, don't let him twist the, the nature of God, the discipline of God into punishment. Don't let him twist the pursuit of God into distance. In, fa- in fact, what we need to do is we need to just fill every dark place, every shadow, every doubt, every insecurity every place within us with how much God loves us. That's where we start. It's really practical. Really. If you you have a small group, if you're meeting this week, if you don't have a small group, call someone up for coffee. If you don't have anybody who'll be your friend, call me up. I'm going to be out of town a couple days, but you know, give me a call. I like it when people call and I'm out of town. No, I'm just kidding. And just have a conversation about how much God loves you. And then maybe if you were with someone else, you could maybe help them see how much God loves them. Now, <clears throat> Danny Silk says, this is a quote I love of his, he says, all acts of love, <clears throat> all displays of love are acts of spiritual warfare. So let's take this concept of the voids in our life that the darkness is creeping into that we're going to fill inside us with the love of God. Now let's take that out. We're going to go, we, we just went vertical. God's love for us. Now let's go horizontal. God's love through me. Okay? And I have relationships. I have an amazing wife. I have eight incredible sons. I have daughters-in-law now, which is the best way to get daughters in my opinion. Just kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure it would have been wonderful to have daughters. The problem is I am not a good daughter dad. I know this. Because <clears throat> right now I spoil my daughters-in-law ridiculously. So yeah, that's what happened. How can this love coming into me become acts of love that are actually acts of war against fear? How can I start to beat down fear in my relationship? Well, it's the same way. Fear and love cannot occupy the same space. So I get the love of God to begin to occupy the dark spaces of me, and now I'm going to start taking that love that I have, those insecurities, as they begin to disappear over time, and I'm going to begin to love her, and I'm going to fill every insecure and scary place in our relationship with displays of love. We're, I actually have a sermon we're going to talk about what that looks like, but I don't have time today, okay? I mean, I have time. You don't have time today, okay? So how do we fill those voids? We begin to fill those every place in our relationship with love instead of fear. We begin to choose connection with people. Connection. And, and that's, so connection, we begin to choose to understand them. We begin to choose to know them. We begin to choose to be known. And, and yes, there are levels of access to you. That's another sermon, Okay. There are boundaries. All of these things have to take place, will take place. They're going to empower you to actually be powerful. But right now, we can't solve all of that in one sermon. But here's what we can do. Today, we can say, I'm going to fill every void in my life with God's love, and I'm going to fill every void in our relationship with my love. That's what I'm going to work on doing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a, a, someone that you can abuse or use because I'm a creation of God. My first responsibility is protect this creation that he made for a purpose, okay? So I have to protect this first. So you can be as disrespectful as you want, but I have these magical things on the end of my ankles called feet. 
They will move my ears to a new location and you can be disrespectful as you want while I'm not here. (laughs) Hey, but as soon as you choose to be respectful, I'm back because I'm pursuing connection with you. I'm protecting connection by not being around while you're being stupid. And you lure me into being stupid. And we're both stupid. And all we do is hurt each other. We become disconnected. And I'm not doing that. All right. So first, I'm going to fill the voids in me with God's love. Second, I'm going to fill the voids in our relationship with God's love. And third, I'm going to learn to tell the truth. Yeah, see, there's a passage in Colossians where it says, tell the truth to each other. I'm reading, it's in the Bible, man. Colossians 3, tell the truth to each other. I'm reading that going, that's like Sunday school, Paul. We know we're supposed to tell the truth. We've heard about the Ten Commandments. You know, don't lie, thou shalt not lie. We know about that. We, we know we're supposed to tell the truth. But we don't tell the truth. In fact, I got in trouble this morning. Because uh, I was going out and, and people are doing this here. They do this to me all the time. They do it to you all the time. Hey, how you doing? Fine. And then now, because I preached a sermon this morning, here's what they're doing. No, really, how you doing? Fine. We lie. Why? We don't want to be vulnerable. There's a reason God put Adam and Eve in the garden without clothes. It wasn't just to make Sunday awkward. It was to teach us that real relationship requires vulnerability. Holy relationship requires vulnerability. Oh, it's so scary to be vulnerable. I have to learn to tell the truth that's inside of me. So a couple years ago, we were taking a camping trip. Well, we were going to see our kids in Colorado. They, three of our sons live in Colorado Springs. And um, so we were going to stay up at the top of the mountain, Wood, Wood, Wood something city, I can't remember. But anyway, we are going. I like to go the back roads nowadays. I, uh, it's just fun. It's just more peaceful. So I, I drive a lot of those. So we went down the back way through Steamboat and Breckenridge and other, about 20 other towns I can't even remember the name of right now. And, and going in, I'm pulling a camper. And, and I figured out how to dodge most of the larger passes. But there's one outside of Keystone, Breckenridge area that's, can't hardly, you got to go through. So here we are, we're going up it and back down it, but it's switchbacks and it's like five miles an hour. Well, here's the problem. Listen, when I get behind the wheel of a car, I am Mario Andretti. (laughs) People, people who walk around and go, you've got to enjoy the journey. That just sounds like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah to me. Yada, yada. It sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, like (laughs) enjoy the journey. The The job is to be the first one there. Who are you trying to meet? Beat, Michael. The guy in front of me. I just want to beat that guy until there's another guy in front of me. Anyway, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, all right? A lot of my friends do. I have friends who are like, man, 70 miles an hour is just way too slow. Like, you should have grown up in the 90s, man. Anyway, I can't drive 55, Sammy Hagar song. It was actually true because I had a car that wouldn't go that fast because my parents are geniuses. But anyway. So here we are, we're going up the switchbacks, you know, and I'm pulling a camper, got a truck. I'm having a great time, man. Even pulling a camper, which is not my favorite thing to do, but I'm doing, I'm having a good time. I look over and my wife is like on the verge of tears. What's wrong? I'm afraid for my life. You know what my first response is to something like that? 
Why are you scared? I'm not scared. I'm in control. (laughs) I'm driving. My wife shares with me good information. True information. She just shared with me something she feels. I'm going to tell you something. When people tell you what they feel, you've been given a treasure. And every man in the room is like, I don't want to hear how you feel. I get it, guys. But I'm telling you, when your wife or someone you love or someone who's close to you tells you how they feel, we've entered a very vulnerable place. I have thrown that out the window so many times. Well, you shouldn't be afraid. I'm not afraid. Why are you afraid? Isn't that stupid? I'm not hungry. Why are you hungry? Well, I've never said that, but... My point is, we've got to start telling people the truth about ourselves. What's inside of us? We have to get it out. And here's the problem. We don't even believe we can do that anymore. We, we feel like we have to tear each other's defenses down just to have a conversation nowadays. What if, what if we could adapt something as the body of Christ? What if we could adopt to a new way of thinking where we're like, you know what, I'm, I tell you what, I'm just going to take my walls down, and why don't you just tell me what you need? Why don't you just tell me what you need, what you feel? Why don't we just do that? Why don't we, instead of spending an hour talking about not the problem, why don't we just go right to the problem? That would be crazy. But what if we could do that? What if we could give good information? We could actually be vulnerable with each other. Am I saying being vulnerable with people who are disrespectful to you? No, I already told you what to do when people disrespect you. Use those magical things on the end of your ankles. Relocate. Stop letting disrespectful people cause you to be disrespectful. We've got a whole sermon on that, so it's coming. The Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Lord, Jesus, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of Jesus is, is freedom. Freedom. You know what that means? I'm free. I can choose to love you, and what you do has no bearing on my choice to love you. Oh, it does have bearing on how close you are to me and how much access you have to me. But it doesn't have anything to do with how much I love you. I can choose to love you no matter what. You may hurt me. You may try to kill me. Let's see. How did it work for Jesus Christ? He loved people. He was vulnerable with people. He told them exactly who he was. Told them exactly what he was going to do. Told them exactly how he felt. They nailed him to a cross. You're like, okay, I don't, I don't, you lost me right there. As they're nailing to a cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what he's saying? You can do anything you want to me. I will never stop loving you. I will pursue as much connection as is possible with you. Yes, I'm going to protect this heart that God gave me, this life that God gave me, because I'm supposed to, again, that's for a later sermon because we need more time to talk about that. But I can love you unconditionally. I can accept you unconditionally. I can say, hey, you're you and I'm me. You don't have to be me to hang out with me. Because that's how most of our relationships are. Most of, most of the time, we pick friends based on who's the most like us. Oh, you're like me. We can be friends. You are not like me. Get out. 
doesn't work that way. As children of God, we are free to accept people. They can have their own thoughts. They can have their own opinions. They can have their own feelings. They, they can live in a totally different set of sins than you live in. Don't act like you don't have your own set of sins. Okay? That's the problem with the church today. We're all about beating up everybody for their sins, but our sins are acceptable. Pfft, that's dumb. I can accept you just like you are. You don't have to be like me. Does it mean we can work together and do things together? That may depend based on, we, we have to come together in common purpose and shared vision. But hey, regardless of what you're like, I can try to understand you. And you can try to understand me, right? That's not, that doesn't require anything sacrilegious or blasphemous. So I can accept you. You get to be you. I get to be me. I'm going to be me. That's what I'm called to be. Also, I can love you. No matter what you do, I can still pursue a connection with you. Scary stuff. Scary, scary stuff. Why? You're talking vulnerability. Talking stepping out. You're talking taking personal responsibility. Yeah, there's ways that you can live in love toward people and still protect your heart and life. But we begin by filling these voids with love and acts of love. So that's where we'll finish up for today, okay? We're going to come back to this other stuff, and I hope I've wet, got your appetite up a little bit for it. I'm, I'm really excited about it myself, but I don't want to overwhelm you. Today, I need to fill every void in my life with God's love for me. And then, I need to work on filling every relationship in my life with my love for them. Does that make sense? Pretty simple. Every display of love is an act of spiritual warfare against fear and darkness. This is how we change the world, man. I believe this with all my heart. Do you bow your heads with me? Worship team, could I get you to come front up? I just want to read you something before we sing. What should we say about such wonderful things as these? <clears throat> if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen us for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we're having trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or are hungry, destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us.
from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, may we allow these words to penetrate every shadow within us. Drive out every insecurity. Calm every anxiety. Oh Lord, would you demonstrate and display your love for us and set the spirit of fear on its heels, running away as it fears the mighty love of God in God's children. In Jesus' name, let's stand.